Hello and welcome. I'm Elizabeth Turp, a counsellor, trainer and writer. And I'm Paul Gorns, a careers advisor, trainer and lecturer. And this is How We Care. Conversations about what it takes to help people for a living. We are two experienced and committed helping professionals who are passionate about finding the best ways to take care of the people we help through our work and to support helping professionals to take care of themselves. So if you're a counsellor, careers advisor, coach, social worker, medical professional, a learning and development or HR professional or any other skilled helper or aspire to be one, this podcast is for you. Let's reflect on how we care. Hello and welcome to episode four of the How We Care podcast. So um, today my podcasting partner Elizabeth is taking a well-earned break, um, but she will be back next time. Um, In our last episode on self-care, we talked about our hints and tips for self-care for helping professionals And one of the things Elizabeth mentioned was um, she's developed a mindfulness practice, which she finds really helpful. Um, So following on from that, um, we're delighted to have our first special guest in this podcast series. Um, And our guest is Dr. Liz Sparks, who is the course director for the Masters in Science in Mindfulness and Compassion at Coventry University, which is the university at which I teach. So I'm absolutely delighted to have Elizabeth with us to talk about aspects of mindfulness and how it might be helpful to help helping professionals. So I'll start with a very basic question, Liz. Um, What is mindfulness? Hi, Paul. Thank you for having me. So mindfulness is very much about being completely present and aware with the moment and exactly what is occurring. And that could be anything from your external environment or your inner landscape and your bodily felt sensations. But it really is that simple about being completely present with the moment rather than um, going off into the memory or imagining it's about that full engagement with what's happening here and now. So um, is there, I was going to say this, there's a lot of um, coverage of mindfulness at the moment, you know, say more than, more than there certainly would have been five years ago or even two years ago, you, you where, where everywhere you look, there may be articles or uh, apps or books about mindfulness. Um, so presumably that's a good thing that everyone's talking about mindfulness. Is there, are there any ways in which all of that attention on mindfulness um, sometimes ends up with misconceptions about what it is or, or, or messages that you wouldn't necessarily agree with? 
Yeah, I think so. I think there is that danger of it becoming just sort of like this catchy thing. Um, but of course, it's 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 an ancient uh, way. You know, it's um, it's just about being fully aware and present and gaining insight. So I think there is that risk of it being misconstrued. Um, and also some people get um, a little confused between the practice of meditation and then the um, the way of being, the mindful way. So that can quite often be mis- miscommunicated as well because the meditation that we engage with is the practice that allows us to become more present, to become more aware um, and insightful. And mindfulness is the, the result of various practices that we engage in. And I think the other thing that can happen is that we can start to view this as as a very light and airy thing. Um, And I suppose it could be taken just as, you know, something to to engage with now and then. But personally and, you know, through my my job, what we do is that we're engaging with a deep transformative process, because the more that we become more aware and inward looking and insightful, the more we start to, you know, shed or transform or change parts of ourselves. So it's actually really um, very much a bridge and a road to deeper knowing and transformation. So it's not, you know, it's not something that's um, just a bit of a gimmick. It's actually, you know, a really, really valuable process to engage with. So I think you said deep transformative process. So could it be then based on um, what you know, your knowledge of the process, that people literally can change the way their brain functions? Yeah. So what we're what we're looking at by becoming fully present with your moment to moment awareness, what you're what you're feeling, becoming the observer of your thoughts what you start to do then is to notice your own patterns, the obstructions that you're creating for yourself or the negative and, um, you know, upsetting thoughts that start to take over, you know, that record player that can happen in the middle of the night or, you know, and, and through the process of mindfulness, what we're actually doing is we're becoming aware of this. And, and once you're aware of something, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And so it naturally starts to change. And of course, with the various practices and um, ideas around um, meditation and, and mindfulness, we're able to then actually change the way that we're processing things. So once you notice you're stuck in that negative um, cyclical mind um, process of thinking the same thing or trying to understand something, then you can almost become the observer of it and make a choice whether you continue to, to follow this process or actually if you're going to take a moment to breathe with the feelings around it. Because quite often if we get in touch with the feelings um, rather than just the thoughts, then we're able to shift and, and move through things rather than being quite stuck. And um, you'll know as, as much as I do that there's plenty of research out there that demonstrates, you know, we're seeing um, very, very clear changes in the way that the brain processes um, thoughts and feelings and emotions um, after a, a long period of engaging with meditation. Um, so, yeah, it, it really it really makes a, a very big difference structurally to what's going on in the brain. 
And it sounds like there's there's a lot of value in not just dipping your toe in the water, but um, p- persisting and persevering with it as a practice to build towards those kind of changes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really, really important to, you know, go to a group or link up with someone else who's engaging with a mindfulness and meditation practice or, you know, try an app or, um, you know, get some support from a mentor or a practitioner, because actually, you know, when you when you move through any transformative or if you like therapeutic process, because you could see it as a therapeutic process, um, you know, things become available in your awareness that, you know, you've perhaps had blind spots to in, in the past. So on the one hand, yes, what we're experiencing is a deeper sense of peace and ease because we're able to move through things and let things go at um, a, a greater capacity. But we're, what we're encountering is a deeper insight into ourselves. And of course, there's always those shadow aspects that can take us by surprise. But on that note, it's better to know and to integrate those parts of yourself than allow them to be there you know, and, and they sort of appear when you're when you're least aware and cause all kinds of trouble. So it's it's a beautiful and really, really amazing process to go through um, of becoming, you know, more aware of yourself, more insight, because then you won't um, have these shadow parts crop up quite so much and take you by surprise because they're in your awareness. You've worked with them. You've um, integrated them to become perhaps your strength rather than your weakness. Thank you. So I'm I'm curious to so I know you as the head of the um there's a director of the masters in mindfulness and compassion as I've said so I'm intrigued to know um how Liz got to be uh, in that role what were the kind of experiences that led up to you being in charge of that course. Yeah, well, I'll try to give you the short story. <laughs> <laughs> So I, um, I've always been um, very interested in um, supporting people with their well-being, um, their, you know, their, their psychological and physical health. And um, I studied health psychology as a master's at Coventry University. And then I worked in London for a while, um, supporting changes in, um, in healthcare. Uh, with practitioners and healthcare professionals, supporting those in the community. And then I um, thought it would be a fantastic idea to do a PhD. Um, so I, I came back and I completed my PhD in Birmingham. And it was extremely painful. I did my PhD in pain psychology and it was so, so hard. Um, and I actually had a chronic pain condition at the time. Um, and I was studying um, pain psychology and I really struggled. I found it um, a very, very difficult challenge. And um, towards the end of my PhD, I actually had some very, very difficult experiences. And they, they were almost like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Um, you know, we go through life and we can hold so much, can't we? And then a couple of things can happen and it's just like, I can't, I can't actually do it anymore. And, um, I actually became, you know, very anxious. I didn't really want to go out. I didn't want to go to work. And, um, a colleague of mine said, you know what, you should start meditating. 
And I remember thinking, I'm going to swing for him, you know, like I'm having a really horrible time. And he's telling me to go and sit on a mat and breathe. And um, well, once I'd calmed down, he took me to a Buddhist center. And I have to say, it was just, it, it was, I just fell in love with the practice. I couldn't believe how I felt after one evening's meditation. And um, I quickly, because uh, when I love something, I do put my heart and soul into it. So I quickly became very dedicated and was practicing every day. And um, I then, you know, joined a group. I then did my teacher training. And at the time I was leading a course in health psychology at Coventry. And um, a few of my colleagues um, really supported me in actually writing um, an MSE in mindfulness and compassion. So myself and um, Surachita, who I'd done my teacher training with together, we actually developed the MSE in mindfulness and compassion. And um, yeah, after about 18 months, it, it was out there live and, and running as a part-time two-year course. And um, well, this was just the dream come true really, because a huge part of this embassy is actually about the individual journey and the depth and the reflection. Um, as I see, this is just such an integral part of you know training to teach or to develop your own courses. It's going through it um, and being able to really look at your own um, experiences and, and your own reflections to, to make you the best teacher or practitioner, if you like, that you can be. So that's kind of how I got there, really. Thank you. So a very interesting journey. And, and it's interesting that you talk about your initial scepticism or re resistance to the suggestion of you know you can deal with all this stuff that's going on by meditating but also the benefit that you got from overcoming that initial resistance it's interesting because I imagine there'll be a lot of people who've been in that scenario where the suggestion of meditation is not necessarily the first thing they expect or or want to hear so um I wondered if you you've already talked about how mindfulness helped you through that situation and how it continues to help you can you say just a little bit more about some of the ways in which you see benefits in your daily life from from practicing mindfulness yeah so um I would say it's that ability to I mean I'm still working on it don't get me wrong you know I, I, as far as I'm concerned this is a lifelong journey and I certainly haven't mastered it myself but what I do see is, um, and particularly with clients as well, because I see um, I take on quite a lot of coaching clients for meditation. And what I see happening all the time is this ability to actually be with difficulty in a different way. And I think being able to understand emotion, being able to identify it, feel it in the body rather than it becoming overwhelming and then leading to, you know, all kinds of situations that we regret or reactions. So I think one of the really useful and, and almost instantaneous things that happens is this ability to start to manage emotion so that it isn't so overwhelming. Um, and it's like you, you, as my, my teacher told me, you create a container to be able to hold um, your experiences so that they're not 
you know, the water isn't flowing out all the time into all kinds of different areas of your life. So it's this managing of what we're feeling and being able to hold it and soothe your own experience. Um, and I think for me, that's the that's the thing that I experience on a daily basis, um, which I really wasn't, you know, able to do in the same way previously. Um, and I think the other thing is the the joy that you experience. You start to really tune in a lot more to the things that you really love and, you know, that that experience that you have perhaps with the people that you love or you know even just going out for a walk you start to actually almost soak it up you're you're a bigger part of it um rather than just being you know passive all the time and and thinking about the next meeting or um or what's happening and don't get me wrong that still happens to a degree but it's less and you start to really you know embrace what you love in a deeper way because you've made that space um to be able to to be with the things that you really enjoy so it sounds like basically you you you're you're likely to notice more you're likely to notice more of your surroundings and kind of have a, a deeper appreciation of some of those things yes great um so um one of the things we talk about in our in, in the, the kind of running theme through this podcast is helping professionals and people who have helping conversations as part of their job so think um teachers social workers nurses doctors hr people um counselors and therapists and so on and on and on and all of all of them uh, I suppose have have ended up in the careers they're in because, like you, they've got a desire to support people's well-being and help help people's lives in some way, whether it's through getting a better job or improving their health or, um, you, you know, teaching them something. So, um, I'd be interested to get your take on the common scenario. You you spoke just a minute ago about that the anxiety that comes from thinking about the next meeting, for instance. Um, And I'm conscious that very busy professionals may have this kind of tension going on where, you know, they've got someone in front of them who they're trying to help, but they're also, you may have other things going on in their lives and in their day. So, and the next meeting could be one that could be, oh, you know, this is a... uh, I'm thinking ahead to half an hour. I've got this really difficult conversation going up and it's kind of chirping away in my mind as I'm trying to listen to this other person. So what would be your practical tips for someone in that situation to be able to um, stop that internal chatter going on? Yeah, it's that constant and regular returning back to the body. So it's being fully in the body rather than always in the mind and and thinking. So when that starts, you know, you you start, as you say, being carried away by thoughts. Then it's about inviting yourself back to how the body feels. Um, And that allows you to be really, really present. And of course, that's also tapping into um, your senses in a bigger way. So you're actually going to have a better rapport um and uh, a better sensing into the the situations that you're in as well because you're fully in inhabiting your body and you're starting to feel into things so that naturally makes you more present um rather than being you know taken away by the thoughts 
so very much into the body, feeling the sensations um, and being aware of, of how the body's feeling is one of the, the key and, and really, really useful ways. The other thing is to also almost create a routine before a meeting where you allow yourself to have a few moments where you do invite all kinds of thoughts and, you know, lots and lots of things to come forward. And, and then you get into the routine of knowing that actually now you've perhaps made some notes, you know, done what you need to do. And also having that very clear routine helps because a lot of people go from meeting to meeting to meeting without yeah. actually having a 10 minute break where you allow you know, lots of thoughts to come in, write a few notes, you know, and then you commit again to going back into that, that place of being really present. So the key really is in breaks and being in the body. Great. I've noticed that, you know, I, this, uh, I've experienced this and I know other people I've spoken to have experienced this. So they're in that kind of situation. They notice that their attention has wandered or they're not listening or they're thinking about that next meeting. And the, the next thing that occurs is a thought that says, ah, oh, that's really poor. I'm not listening properly here. Yeah. And even then a, another thought that follows, it says, oh, I'm crap. You know, I can't, oh, I really should be doing better than this. And the, this kind of escalation or buildup of, yeah. of yeah. negativity around, around that noticing that, you're not listening so I guess the mindful practice would be to notice that you're not listening but not to be to be able to not beat yourself up for it or to uh, start another layer of internal negative chatter but just to kind of as you say maybe okay I'm not listening now right I've noticed that so I can tune in and start listening again. Yeah and what you're really talking about there is that inner critic Mm. um that starts to to play out so yeah once we realize we're lost in thought or or you know we we start to criticize ourselves for being lost in thought then that inner critic starts to take hold and that's one of the things that we do a lot with mindfulness is starting to become aware of that that voice you know that critic inside that gives you a hard time um and you know some of the practices are really really use useful because what we're doing is it's almost like we're befriending the critic you know we start to realize that actually that part of ourselves serves a really good purpose it's there pretty much to keep us safe to guide us you know to make sure we don't mess up but there has to be that balance and through the the mindfulness and the meditation and the practices what we start to do is become really um, friendly towards that part of ourselves and that again will ease off the amount of um, intensity that you feel around it and you know you, some people call it reparenting yourself or becoming your own friend you know however you want to phrase it it's about actually allowing that critic to be there recognizing its purpose but you know knowing that actually you don't need to let this take over it's served its purpose it's brought my awareness to it um and and that's good that's useful and it's all about mindset really about how we view that um yeah so it, it's just it's just bringing that that kindness back to you know the parts of ourselves that show up so with the inner critic it's helpful to be able to say oh thanks for that thanks for bringing that to my attention see ya <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it is it's about you know it's good that that we have that you know, it's a it's a really it's a really useful and and 
you know, important part. But yeah, it's knowing when to say, actually, I'm I'm good now. <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> so um, I just wanted to maybe, uh, because your course is mindfulness and compassion, and you mentioned compassion earlier in the conversation, um, just explore that link between those two things a little more. So particularly for helping professionals who want to be compassionate, supportive, to the people, their clients, their patients, their students. Um, how does mindfulness help us to be to respond to people more compassionately? Well, first and foremost, it's about that compassion towards ourselves, because once we start to maintain that, it becomes much easier to respond to others in a compassionate way. Um, and um, often the challenge is starting with that self-compassion really and the key thing is again recognizing those parts of ourselves that we give ourselves you know a hard time and there's lots of different ways that we would explore compassion so not only through meditation there's particular ones around compassionate body scan where you would take the feeling of compassion to every area of the body and when I say the feeling of compassion you would bring to mind, you know, a time when you felt nurtured, when you felt cared for, and then you would allow that feeling to sweep throughout the body, taking it to every area. And you can really begin to imagine, you know, how much that brings ease to every muscle and cell and helps us to feel better because we're taking that feeling of nurture to everywhere. There's also meta meditation, which takes you through the process of sending kindness towards yourself, um, a good friend and an acquaintance and then someone that you you know grinds your gears really and it's it's going through these processes of actually saying of feeling it you know that person really grinds my gears that really annoys me and it's allowing yourself to feel it um so that it can gently be transformed and and it eased so again, the compassion is allowing yourself to be with things. It is providing that space for yourself to feel the hurt, to feel the frustration, um, and then to, you know, gently hold, hold that awareness. Because um, as we know, you know, holding negative thoughts or, or not forgiving others is actually more toxic towards us. We're the ones that suffer. So it's a lot kinder to them and to us if we explore those feelings allow them to to come to the surface and and work through them and of course the way to work through anything and integrate anything is to fully feel it acknowledge it and and sometimes talk about it so compassion is really this process of allowing our feelings allowing um, ourselves that space but it's also having that very very clear intention to send kindness towards ourselves and a lot of the time People will say, oh, isn't that, you know, a bit, you know, much, you know, sending that towards yourself. But it's 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 purely the intention of holding yourself in in, you know, a, a high esteem and, and thinking of yourself as a good and kind person, um, because that naturally, you know, what you think you become um, and, and holding negative thoughts towards yourself has has such a difficult impact, particularly around your relationships with others. So, um, yeah, it's a very gentle process. And a lot of the compassion is in the meditation practices and feeling things as you bring them to mind. Thank you very much. So I, I think, Liz, it, it, it sounds as if we're, we if we're less judgmental with ourselves, we're then in turn likely to be less judgmental with others. 
or to put it another way, if we look after ourselves better, we'll look after others better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think the important thing is because some people will say, well, I find it much easier to send compassion to others. You know, it comes much more naturally. But here's the thing. If that is always the way and it's that one way process, then you're much more likely to experience compassion burnout. So where you can't hold that, where you start to feel resentful and worn out. So you have to build your own reserve to be able to have that overflowing um, ability to, to help others, really. Great. So I've just briefly returned to um, asking you about your course, because there might be people who, who, who are thinking, this is really interesting. What kind of people um, do you have studying on the course? Where do they come from? What are their backgrounds? What, what draws them to, to do the course? Okay, so we have um, a, a real range of um, students. It can be anyone from um, healthcare professionals. We've had psychiatrists, nurses. Um, then we have teachers, primary school, secondary. And then, of course, there's a lot of interest amongst people in various um, caring professions, such as coaching or um, counselling. And we also have people come straight from their undergraduate degrees. Um, And then there's other people who perhaps aren't in a particular um, public facing or or caring profession, but want to move more into that. So it could, you know, some people come along who haven't worked for a while. Um, Some people come along who've retired and, and actually want to get back into something. And I think that's the beauty of this course is that, you know, when we're all together, it's it's such a diverse group, but everybody has this very clear focus that they want to, you know, develop themselves to be able to help others and, and to share, you know, these insights, really. And I think the fact that everybody is holding such a clear and similar intention just just makes it such a, a beautiful and really, really fascinating process. Sounds brilliant. Thank you. So, um, yeah, a couple of things before we um, finish, Liz. Um, so for somebody who's curious about finding out more about mindfulness and maybe hasn't investigated it before or who's maybe even a little bit sceptical, um, are there any resources, books, websites, um, videos that you would want to recommend people to start with? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the first port of call really is any compassion books or looking at websites um, by Paul Gilbert. Um, Absolutely brilliant. Really wonderful to listen to. And also Choden, who um, is um, actually a friend of mine and and has led some sessions with me. He's um, a Buddhist monk in Samiling in Scotland, and he's written various books with Paul Gilbert as well and some of his um, you know excellent interviews that you can listen to are on on YouTube and then of course um, my teacher Surya Chitta has written various books on um, mindfulness compassion uh, happiness and also some really good guides to teaching Um, so those are probably the places that I would start you know particularly around you know Paul Gilbert and and other texts by Choden as well um, because they're really easy to read and they're really helpful in terms of giving you the practical way to start um, a meditation practice and become more mindful 
Fabulous. Thank you. Thanks for those. And we'll put a link to those resources on our um, on our show notes, which will go out with the podcast so people can um, have a chance to have a look at those. Um, uh, yeah. So what we always do at the end of each episode, Liz, is we um, give our listeners um, something to go away and try. So I know you've got... Um, an, an exercise related to um, mindfulness um, that people can try. So over to you. Okay. Yeah. So this is um, sometimes known as a compassion break or a three-step process. And um, it's very, very effective for being on the go as well. So we, you know, sometimes we, we can't sit down and take that time to meditate. So really, really helps to grow that container of holding your own experience and not becoming overwhelmed as well. So it's a three-step process. The first step is to label and acknowledge what you're feeling. So perhaps, you know, um, anxiety or frustration or sadness, because the minute that we label something, um, it, it automatically draws us out of the mind and into, you know, the reality of it. We're experiencing this at this any given moment. The second step then is to locate where you feel this emotion in the body. So, where do I notice, you know, this anxiety? Well, it's around my chest, perhaps in the stomach. And then the third stage is to gently breathe with those sensations in the body. So you can hold the intention of breathing into it or just breathing with the tension or the sensation. And you would do that, you know, 30 seconds to a minute. Um, and it automatically brings you back. Um, it soothes the emotional uh, reaction in the body and it helps us to see things for what they are, an emotional experience, rather than getting caught up in that overwhelm. Fabulous. So thanks. So um, that's a great one for people to try. Um, I, I want to say thanks very much to Liz for being our guest um, on this episode. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Liz. Our next episode in March will be self-care part two. Thank you for listening. We hoped you enjoyed this episode. How We Care is brought to you by Elizabeth Turk and Paul Gaunt via Simplecast. Case studies are generalised and do not relate to individual clients. Please subscribe for more episodes, rate us and follow us on Twitter, details in the show notes for information on upcoming episodes. Many thanks to Ed Tidy for the music and technical assistance. See you next time. See you.